What is up, BA family, and welcome to another episode of the Breathing Air Podcast, where everyday action meets extraordinary mindset. I am your host, Mason Bendigo, and thank you all for joining us today. This is the first week that we are airing live on YouTube, so go check us out at Breathing Air if you're not in the car and you can watch it at home. Also, check us out on Instagram at Breathing Air Podcast or Twitter, Breathing Apostrophe Air. Um, we're also on Facebook. Obviously, you can search my name. And man, I'm just so grateful to have you all today. Tay brings us a great topic. We talk a lot about sports and the industry that he's in with college athletics. We talk about toxic masculinity. We talk about what it what it really means to be a man in today's society and his travels all over the world and his childhood in New Zealand. I know you all will enjoy this. Without further ado. <laughs> All right. What's up, brother? Hey, how we doing, Mace? I think we are live. We are live. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Breathing Air Podcast, where everyday action meets extraordinary mindset. Today, we have a special guest. He has been a graduate assistant for student-athlete development at Arizona State University. He has done inside sales with the Los Angeles Clippers, player personnel with the Los Angeles Rams. He was a director of recruiting for Grand Canyon University for the rugby team there. He has a master's from Arizona State, a sports management bachelor's from Lindenwood, my my proud alum, and uh, was also now the new CEO and founder of Bottle Opener Podcast. That's a mouthful. What's up, brother? How are we doing? That's a hell of a rap sheet. I feel like I Dude. need to have you around to introduce me more often. <laughs> I know. I, yeah, just wherever I go, have like a script that I just pull yeah. out, like old times. Um, <laughs> no, man, I, that's a mouthful. But that just goes to show all the experience, you know, that you you've had over the last couple of years. So I'm super excited to have you on and um, excited for your new journey with your podcast too. You wanna you wanna kind of elaborate a little bit on what that is going to be like, what it's going to be about, how the idea came about. Yeah, no, I appreciate the plug. Um, I've kind of had the idea for a while, but I've been making excuses. And fortunately, um, given the whole quarantine situation, I was kind of able to just uh, dive into it. For, and I, I mean, I'm really lucky to have that time and I'm, I'm definitely making the most of it. But the, the reason I wanted to get behind it is like over the last, as I say, nearly a decade, I've had the good fortune to like live in so many different places and just meet so many people. And I've found the common trend is that every single person you meet has a unique story or unique knowledge that I otherwise didn't know. Like I've learned so much from people. And so I wanted to develop a platform for people that otherwise don't have a platform or don't utilize their platform to get those stories out or get their knowledge out. And I figured why not do it for them, I guess, and have them on the podcast and enable that, those stories to get out. Um, my dad put it really well. He'd said to have you run on from the janitor, janitor to the CEO. And so, yeah, that's the plan with it. And then the bottle opener, obviously, um, it's one of those things that you you've kind of have to think about, but without a bottle opener, you don't have a lot of those great conversations, a lot of, a lot of those great stories um, over a bottle of beer or a bottle of wine. 
Um, so without the bottle opener, you've got to open that conversation. You've got to open that bottle. You've got to open that experience. So I decided on the bottle opener. Um, yeah, the podcast is not about alcohol, but it, it, um, yeah. alcohol always helps a great conversation. So um, yes, I said on the pot, the bottle opener, I think this weekend I'm going to record a couple of episodes just so I've got a couple there and then I'll start it. Um, launching them early next week so yeah stay tuned for that i'm sure we'll definitely help advertise for each other yeah yeah absolutely i just liked how it kind of correlated with you know like those conversations people get a little loose and start saying things that they maybe wouldn't say right so it's like they're opening up but the bottle opener also kind of signifies that i thought that was kind of cool little play on words definitely so um we'll, we'll start here so Obviously, if people haven't caught on already, you have a little bit of an accent to you. So tell us a little bit about your childhood, you know, where you're from and kind of just, you know, what what life was like growing up. Yeah, no, it it was definitely different. Um, I didn't appreciate it at the time until I moved to America and, you know, realized that just being in a different geographical location means so many differences. Um, But no, I I grew up, I was born in Auckland, New Zealand, and then, um, through dad's work and moved out to Jakarta and in Indonesia and bounced around the Southeast Asia sort of area. Um, at the time, you know, I, I just wanted to be a normal kid and that was kind of tough. Um, I started school at an international school, so I was around other internationals living in Indonesia, but um, I guess I just wanted that sort of normal life where you know, I didn't really get it. I was the white kid living in an Asian country. So right. um, you're always treated a little differently and stuck everything. out like a sore thumb. Absolutely. And blonde hair, blue eyes as well. And yeah. so, um, yeah, but I moved back to New Zealand still, I was pretty young. I think I was about six when I moved back, six or seven when I moved back. Um, and then, yeah, we moved to a little town called Wanganui again for work and grew up there. Um, something that's a bit unique for Americans is I went to boarding school for high school, um, not because I was a bad kid. It was, boarding schools are really popular in New Zealand. Um, a lot of the like private schools are boarding schools. It kind of, it's kind of mirrored off the English um, education system. So yeah, I went to boarding school for all of high school, which was really cool. It's um, you know I wouldn't change that for the world. Being an only child, I, I was fortunate to um, you know be around a lot of people in that sense I was I never felt like I was an only child because I was living with you know brothers in the boarding house and so that was awesome I think the I loved growing up in New Zealand because New Zealand's one of those countries that it's kind of required to get out and be rough and live in the wild a little bit and um, part of my school curriculum actually was I had to spend a month up living in cabins up in the bush where we went like hiking and did a solo so you like go camping on your own um, explain what explain what up in the bush is oh yeah so like (laughs) up in like the mountains there's like there's a lot of rural area in new zealand like it's a very spread out country we're not very populous dense so um there's a lot of areas you can just go and get out and fortunately in new zealand there's no predators so like you don't you're not worried about snakes scorpions that's crazy i didn't know that there's no mountain lions there's no like not nothing that's going to hurt you so you fortunately can just like go and and just, why is that why is the i mean i mean good uh border control i guess border security <laughs> but um i mean it's an island so it's hard like they don't right, migrate into the country or anything so yeah. anything that's coming in has got to come by boat or plane and you know you just make sure it doesn't come in so <laughs> i think part of it might i don't know I might sound uneducated here but i know that our climate's kind of unique because our agriculture industry is really good um because our climate's kind of perfect for 
um, farming. So yeah, right. I was. Go ahead. Yeah, so I mean, going back to what I was talking about, like the getting out in the wild, you you can kind of do it with no fear of you know running into something you don't want to run into. So um, it's an absolute luxury, yeah. And and I'm I'm fortunate that I kind of got to grow up in that environment that you like you can just go down to the local river and go swimming, and you're not worried about moccasins or anything. You just you're swimming. So it's yeah, it's, yeah, it's an absolute awesome. blessing to grow up in that kind of country, and I've definitely it molded me into the guy I am today. For sure, and I, I guess I didn't really appreciate it at the time, but that's as per everything in life, I feel. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's things when you're younger, growing up, like you know, adolescent, and you have those experiences, and at the time it may be like the end of the world. You're like, no, why is this happening to me? But in reality, you look back, you know, ten years from now, you know, we're starting to become, or we're young adults, you know, starting to come into our own, and it's like, wow, those things that I hated so much then kind of helped shape me into who I am now, which, you know, oh, absolutely. it's a blessing. That was kind of how I was too, right. mo moving around a lot. I was like, I hated it. You know, I resented my dad for it at times, but I was at that weird sixth, seventh, eighth grade, you know, trying to make friends, doing that kind of stuff. But looking back now, it's helped me in the business world and it's helped me just as a rounded individual to be able to talk and speak to a lot of different people and be able to adapt quickly. So 100%. at my, yeah. at my boarding school, it was required that we had to like, we had to be in plays. We had to sing in front of the school. We had to uh, play an instrument. We had to like learn a language. We had to run, run athletics, do cross country, we had to do like all the different, um, all the different sports and everything. And like looking back on it, I, I remember having to learn lines for a play and I'm like a pretty guys guys sort of thing like I'm not a artsy sort of dude I can't draw to save my life I'm a terrible singer and so when I was like learning lines for a play I remember complaining to my parents like nothing I was just like, why like I do not care and they're like well you gotta do it you gotta do it Jay. I think mean, feel like that's my parents mantra is you gotta do it just get over it <laughs> yeah so uh I remember learning it and then I, like looking back on it when people like being a bartender now as well people like mention something I can, and I'm fortunate that I kind of have a base knowledge of a lot of random shit and yeah. so from doing things like that like I know about Shakespeare I've been in a few plays and things so yeah like you said it's a lot of those random things that you hate doing at the time and you just think it's so dumb and then you look back a few years later and you're like I'm kind of glad I did that kind of glad I went on stage and was an actor <laughs> yeah yeah no that's it's weird I mean those are things that you don't even think about that come back and then they create that connection with somebody that you may have not been able to spark that conversation if you didn't have that weird little experience with it, you know, yeah. and that could lead something, you know, that could lead something down the line. It's such a connection based world we live in, but everything. So I know that you're kind of prepping. We've talked slightly about it before the show, but you're kind of prepping for a Ted talk. Um, Tell me a little bit about, you know, how that came about and what, what that's kind of going to be centered around. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the TED talk is going to be a very small part of it. I believe um, it, the plan is to be able to develop this platform for um, not just student athletes, but athletes um, kind of, obviously the goal is Arizona and then nationwide. We, we want to make it as big as possible, but um, I'm kind of, I can't take all the claim. It's like, a, I can explain what Alonzo Jones or I'll talk about in a second has done, but I'm kind of, um, building on what he's already started but Alonzo Jones is the director of championship life here at Arizona State and his um, what he's done he's developed an identity matrix 
for student athletes. And basically what that is, is um, talking in depth about uh, how you change as a person when you move into different realms or different universes as a student athlete. Um, fortunately, I'm talking to an ex-student athlete, so it's probably easy for you to pick up. But right. um, when you're an athlete in school, you're not just an athlete. And wherever you are, you're never just an athlete. You're, you're also a son or a daughter, you know, a father and mother, um, brother, sister, etc. And on top of that, you're an athlete, you're a student, you're a friend, um, and you're a person. And, right. and each time you move through those different identities, you you change a little bit and your goals change, your aspirations change, your behaviors change. Um, to put it an example, you know, when you're on the field, all you're thinking about is completing passes. Like you, that's all you're worried about. You're not thinking about your girlfriend. You're not thinking about the party later that night, but sometimes you do. And that, sometimes the issues that you've got to deal with um, about those identities and how they change uh, who you are and if you blur them you know trouble can occur and so that's what Alonzo Jones or we call AJ he's um, he's developed and it's a phenomenal platform where you kind of present it to um, incoming student athletes at ASU and then uh, he's kind of brought me in because of my uh, passion with mental health and me mental performance um, and so my job which I'm working on right now with the help of um, one of my best friends wives Skylar O'Feely um, who's a therapist we're basically developing um, some sort of behavioral techniques or trainings, et cetera, where you can help um, when you're molding and, and jumping through those different identities, how can you best uh, manage your mental health and not let that bleed over? The, the big one I use is how quickly, you know, if you get uh, dropped from the team or something, you get put into second string, you're frustrated, you're pissed off. So, you go home and then next minute your girlfriend keeps calling you and you're just like, I don't want to talk to anyone right now. Like I'm pissed off. Right. And so you're, you're angry about that and you're not answering your girlfriend next minute. She's blowing up your phone and yelling at you too. You're going, two of my worlds are collapsing right now. I'm just, I'm annoyed. And so you spend all night frustrated. So you miss, you don't take your quiz and dance to 11. <laughs> and so uh, next minute you're failing classes. Your girlfriend hates you and you're second string on the team in a matter of hours. That's, that's terrifying. Like it, though, your life can turn upside down so quickly. And if you don't have those coping mechanisms to then isolate each one of those identities and say, look, I was dropped from the team. That's fine. When I leave the field, I'm now a boyfriend or when I leave the field, I'm now son or student, etc. And being able to isolate those identities with, without structurally disassociating yourself. So it's a, it's not an easy thing to do. I don't think student athletes get enough credit for the, the, the life you've got to live it's not even like oh you chose to do that it's like kind of i'm getting free college some of them not all, this isn't all the time this is right. a one universities sure but even it's your it's your life like it's it is your identity and so then the other thing that that kind of molds to is post sports when you create a new identity and like you you know all about that firsthand it's it's not easy, eh? Like you spend your entire life as a quarterback. That's that's who you are. Right. And fortunately, tight end as well. <laughs> and so, but that football player, that's who you are. And then all of a sudden, you graduate and you go, well, I guess I'm an employee now. Like, how do you change those identities? So that's what we're working on. And um, once we really get it kind of fine tuned and made sure that we're doing the right things, mental health is so delicate. And I don't want for one second to be saying the wrong things or telling people the wrong things. So I, I want to make sure it's perfect right. before we start presenting, but yeah, 
And also, I don't know what's happening with coronavirus. We don't know if anything's going to hit anytime soon. So, um, right. yeah, a lot of study going on right now, but that's the plan for going forward for it and trying to develop something to help help people. I mean, that's why we're here. Beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's super relevant for a lot of people. I mean, you have student athletes, whether you're a Division One or you're across the board. I mean, people who have played college athletics are most likely playing for years and years and years and years. And like you said, life seems really simple because it's, well, looking back, it seemed really simple at the time. You know, you think you got all these problems, but it's like, that is your life's work up until that moment. And then when that's taken from you, because it's taken so fast, you know, you don't even, it's a blink of the eye and then you're graduating from college or maybe football doesn't work out for you or whatever sport you're playing doesn't work out for you. And then it's, you know, onto the real world. So injuries can happen too. You know, it's just, it's one of those things that can be taken from you quick and it is easy to build your identity around that. I know personally for me, it was definitely something that I put all my work and time and effort into to be the best player I could be. Um, so that was something that was, you know, the basis of my life. Like I was eating and working out and doing all these things for that. And that's a, that's a, you know, that's 24 seven thing when you're playing college athletics, there's no off season really. So uh, I definitely think that that's a good cause. And that transition can be difficult at first. I think it definitely was for me my first year out, you know, just trying to find that identity. And like, what are you going to build yourself off of now? Because you were a football player, but now what are you? Now what do you want to, you know, hang your hat on? What do you want people to know you as? Because you're no longer a football player. No, you know, two years from now, no, no one cares if I play football anymore. It doesn't matter. It may help you off the jump to get in, get in the door somewhere, you know, and I think that there's a lot of crossover when it comes to business and sports to be able to like take that team atmosphere and have a bunch of different people from a bunch of different backgrounds all coming together for a common goal, which is a business or a corporation at the end of the day. But 100%. yeah, I, I, there's so many correlate. I know that when I'm in the position of hiring, if you have an athlete on your resume in any way, I'm, you're getting an extra notch. And I don't mean to talk down on non-athletes or anything. There's, I'm not saying that's just like you have to be an athlete, but you get an extra notch. I know that you understand punctuality. You understand working as a team. You understand getting critiqued. These little things that definitely correlate over. And I've noticed, um, obviously, I'm, I'm a bartender manager at the moment. Well, I was before we all shut down. But um, I, and, but I noticed that like the employees on the, on roster that are ex-athletes just have, you, you can tell, you just, you can tell the difference. And like you kind of alluded to, it does correlate over to business or, you know, anything you do, um, any sort of professional development. If you've got that um, ability to work, you're essentially, you know how to work for someone. You work for your coach every day. Right. And then, yeah. So you, anytime I'm hiring, I'm thinking, I want someone that knows knows that when you say you got to be at work at eight, that means 755. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. So like speaking on sports though, sports. yeah, exactly. And speaking on sports, I know that you are a rugby player or a rugby player, but you're still, you know, surrounded in that culture and like you have a passion for the sport. So tell me a little bit about your journey with rugby and that, did that lead you to Lindenwood in the first place? Yeah. Or how did that yeah, yeah. So. Um, I started playing rugby when I was four. Um, so it's, again, it was my whole life. Um, and I played all the way up 
and kind of still playing. Um, our season kind of got canned recently. Um, but so, I, yeah, I played all through high school. Um, and then I was like on representative teams in my area, um, kind of like state here. Uh, it's a different sort of setup, but I was um, playing like, like you're like named from your high school team to play for right. those representative right. sides. And then, um, yeah, I, when I came out of, when I was at the, coming to the end of high school, I got selected um, to play for the Hurricanes Academy squad and that, which is like the equivalent of like the NFL sort of like mini camp or whatever. Um, you're not like on the starting roster or anything, but right. you, uh, you're like getting looked at. And so I was playing in a, a couple of tournaments with that, um, that side and uh, unfortunately went through fewer different injuries and everything. And so I started, I knew that I wanted to go to America, but I, I was kind of on that uh, tightrope between do I, uh, do I focus on my career or do I focus on rugby and New Zealand being, I mean, I'd attest to argue the best rugby country in the world um, is where I'd need to be if I wanted to go further in rugby. And so um, obviously after a couple of injuries, I had that conversation with my dad who was like, you know, it's education time, buddy. Like <laughs> we need to hang out the boots. It's not, you're not going to be LeBron James of rugby anytime <laughs> soon. So right. Um, yeah, so I was like looking to come to America, but dad said, you're not going to America unless it's paid for because I'm not forking out to go there because I couldn't get student loans or anything over here. So um, I was kind of putting my feelers out to a few coaches and everything out here and got a few offers. But at Lindenwood, they offered a full ride um, just given the, how good Lindenwood is as a rugby school. So um, being D1 and for rugby and everything. So they offered me a full ride and I kind of packed up and, moved my ass to St. Louis, Missouri, which it, it, looking back on, it, I don't know what I was thinking. And I, I remember being so excited. Like I had no, no qualms in it. Like I was like hundred percent. Yeah. Well, why would I not? Yeah. But like looking back on it, that's, that's it. That was a huge move to make, but I moved out there and was immediately adopted from the, by the boys. It was a really cool culture. I know you had a, a good relationship with the rugby team yeah. as well, but we had such a good vibe out there and it was my, in my head, I remember I was going out there like, oh, I'm going to play rugby in America. Like, it'll be pretty chill. Like, I'll be able to, like, tear it up. Yeah. And I get to Lindenwood and no way. These these guys at Lindenwood were the real deal. Yeah. Like, there was some talent on that roster. And so yeah. uh, I remember I was like, damn, I'm, like, playing rugby, rugby again. I was like, I'm going to stay in shape. I've got to eat right. I, and I was coming over here to, like, just to focus on education. And I yeah. kind of had thought rugby was over for me. So Lindenwood was great. Um you know, playing for such a highly ranked team in the country was really cool and um, gave me a few perks, you know, going into my future as well, just in the rugby community. When you say Lindenwood, it's like saying like Alabama, LSU, Clemson sort of thing. For yeah, football. and that's, cra that's the crazy thing. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, I'm really blessed that I did choose Lindenwood. I'm, I wouldn't change it for the world. And um, seeing all the boys now playing in the MLR, the Major League Rugby, like they're killing it, eh? Like it's just good to see the boys out there doing their thing and um, no, I'm stoked. I chose Lindenwood, and then I took a couple of year, years off um, uh, when I graduated college because I was like focusing on my career and everything. I moved out to LA, and then I moved to Arizona, and I just started missing it like crazy. And so um, I play. I play now for Red Mountain Rugby, which is a club out here. Um, and then I was talking to an old coach of mine, and we're spitballing going back. Do I want to go play major league rugby um, in Atlanta with him? But then coronavirus hit and now all these opportunities are kind of getting shut down because the league's not happening i'm not even playing anymore but it's been good to get back out there i've had a really good season with red mountain we had a lot of fun and 
um, I, I mean, I, I've loved playing rugby. It's just a, it's been a whirlwind career. It's unlike a lot of people that are like focused on rugby. Mine's kind of been like, I was focused on rugby, then went to focus on my career and then a little bit of rugby and then back onto my career now mm, back to rugby. Right. So it's like my identity has been like switching on and off from rugby player to like um, career. Guy. Right. <laughs> I know. I, I remember always even back in school. And like you said, I had a great relationship with a lot of those guys. We have a lot of great memories with those guys, but um, it is crazy. You know, I, I had never, I had heard of rugby because actually where I was from in Eureka, it was kind of getting decently popular. Like Eureka's a good amount a good of time. Yeah, there was a good amount of guys on that team that were, I was buddies with that were playing. So I was somewhat familiar with it. Never myself did I play. But, yeah, when I when you watch those boys at Lindenwood play, uh, what, do you, what do you like better? So, for those of you who don't know, there's 11s and 7s, correct? 15s and 7s. 15s, yeah. 15s. Okay, so there's 15s and 7s. What do, like, what do you think is better? Because I know, like, the 7s, you got all speed, like a lot of speed. Yeah. And it's just – I mean, it's as big as a soccer field, right? Yeah. No, I'd lo- I love the opportunity to explain the two as well. Because yeah, yeah. Go ahead. It gets ahead. confused and confusing. Right. But right. sevens and fifteens, the obvious one is there's seven people on the field versus 15. Um, in sevens, it's a lot faster. Obviously, you've got a lot more room to, to go. And um, at the breakdown, you've got like when a guy gets tackled, there's less people there. So you've got to be quicker to the ball, get the ball out quicker. It's just a fast pace of game. Right. So you automatically roll out like all the big guys. Like they can't play. They're too slow. Yeah, they got to run. Right. And so it's like a quick game of rugby. And 15s is like everyone on the field. If there's 15, it's a lot more slower and um, a lot more, uh, in my opinion, um, you need a lot more strategy in 15. Yeah, it's to, meticulous. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so the big, the comparison I use is 15s is like football and 7s is like flag football, like 7 on 7. Yeah. And so you roll out all the linemen, which is, in my opinion, with football, half of the fun. I, I love yeah. the line. Um, and so I personally played a bit of sevens. I liked it, but I always felt like it was like a mini game of rugby. That's how I call That's what I call it. It's like mini, mini rugby. Like, yeah, you know, when you're playing like Grand Theft Auto and then you like go bowling, like in the game, you go, <laughs> it's like a mini game. It's not yeah. like the actual game. It's a mini game. Right. And so that, that's like sevens to rugby. But I get it. Sevens is exciting. It's fun. It's quick. It's, it's, it's one of those sports that's like, I, I totally understand why people take to it so well because it is fast. It's exciting. Yeah, it but is fast. 15s is like rugby, like true blue rugby. <laughs> yeah. So you, I know you had some time with the Rams and then obviously you've been around uh, the Arizona State program and just football in general. Uh, what's, what's some of the differences or you know, some of the similarities between football and yeah. rugby. Well, I'm going to, I'll definitely be advertising this podcast to like my friends and stuff. So there'll probably be a few, a few listeners from New Zealand. So there you I go. can try to explain like football as well, because for me, um, I've always, always loved football since I was a little boy, but I never had anyone in New Zealand that was remotely interested in football. So I yeah. couldn't have anyone to talk about it with. Um, but what I really like about football is football is like a chess match but with human bodies, like it's so uh, strategically designed to, it's, it's essentially chess. You're trying to find, you know, the next move to make. And yeah. when I fully adapted that, it's, and that's the same with baseball. When I fully like understood the sport from that aspect, that's when I was hooked. I was like, I love this. 
Um, whereas rugby is so free flowing that you don't get to think that much. Like you, you obviously you're thinking and you're trying to move the defense in a certain way to be able to make your next move. But with football, you can, you actually have time to like think about your next move. It's, it's more structured right. in that sense. Um, and then the obvious one is, you know, collisions. Um, we don't have padding. And in my opinion, I like it's far safer. Yeah, we, we kind of have to respect our bodies in rugby. And so yeah. we, if you, you can't be a flying we, missile. No, if we acted like football players would kill ourselves, period. And so, and, and as a result, I don't think the pads do enough to allow football players to behave the same way. That's why you see a lot, statistically, you see a lot more head injuries in football than rugby, but you guys have helmets. It's the right. behavior of the game. And so, um, I, I love any, I don't like, I'm totally on board with, I don't like quarterbacks being treated like they're covered in cotton wool. I don't like, <laughs> right. we, you want a little bit of collision. I get it. And I think the best way to do that is, is spend more time teaching tackling rather than trying to change the rules. If that makes sense. Like, no, absolutely. And it doesn't make want sense because football. yeah, it doesn't. I mean, football is a violent game. So is rugby, but like, there is things that you can do to minimize it without taking away the like core of the game, which is like, it's a violent game period. It that's people like it because of that. We like it because of that. Like you don't get to hit people like that outside of the game legally. Like my old coach used to say that it was legal assault, which I mean, it really is like you are getting smashed out there. So I mean, I think that the education, like you said, towards not leading with the crown and all of those rules, I think those are good implementations uh, in the in the game. I think it makes it safer. But I don't, I don't, I haven't really liked. I don't know how I feel about the kickoff for turn one. You know, yeah, it's like, I mean, it, I like I understand the point. I like, though, it's crazy. You're running like a hundred percent full speed. Yeah, That's the other thing in rugby is like. Is crazy. What I get, I get frustrated more than anything when I see defensive backs um, try to make a tackle for loss and come up running 100%, just trying to take someone's head off. It's the easiest thing to move around. You can juke someone running 100%. Yeah, I mean, so easy. If you're not breaking down, you can make right. one move and make a miss. And I, I don't care. In football, if I'm watching my team, I really don't care if they put in a, a big hit. I want to see completed tackles i want to see a tackle for loss rather than a huge tackle for loss right might or might not hit like it just slow down catch your feet and make a normal tackle because then we're making you know they get in negative five yards we're moving down the field we're moving them back that's what you want i don't there's no extra points for a big hit right make the tackle (laughs) it's so funny too because i feel like a lot of people think that football is just like people banging their heads together which at the end of the day there's that's the basis of it but like if you're trying to explain say you're say you're like on the couch Sunday you're hungover or whatever and you're watching uh NFL NFL Sunday ticket and there's you got a girl over and you're watching you're watching and she's asking you what's going on this has happened to me before I like try and break it down in this like lamest terms possible but it's kind of hard to as opposed to like basketball, you know, this is a three pointer. If they get fouled, they shoot a free throw. This is two points. Yeah. It's like, no. All right. This is cover two. This is the safety's doing this. Linebackers coming here. 
Why did he fake the handoff and pull it out? Well, he's reading this backer. If he sucks in, then he's throwing it behind him. Or like, who are those big guys? Like, why, why does this big guy block and catch? And like, that's, it's just, there's so many moving pieces. And like you said, it is a chess match and there's so much strategy. And that's what's beautiful about it to me because it is barbaric, but then there's so much mental game that goes oh, yeah. into like being able to win a like high level football game. They they call rugby organized chaos, and I think football's the exact same way. It's really organized chaos. Right. Yeah. No, it is. So tell me a little bit about we talked about football versus rugby, and we kind of talked a little bit about the different cultures, but what are some of the big glaring differences when it comes to like living in New Zealand versus living in America, whether that's uh, culture, food, like way people act. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a few, I'm, I'm kind of in the position. I love America like this. I yeah. really want this to be my, my home and I love New Zealand as well. So I kind of have the, these like lenses where I'm able to see the good and bad in both because I really do see them both as home. It's not like one over the other. Right. But um, I, the opportunities in America are far, like you've got, you're comparing country, one country's got 4 million, the other's got 335 or something, 33 or something million. So you, like you automatically people is going to be the first one. <laughs> right. A lot less people. Um, but I think the big one that as a, as a, like a mental health aspiring um, sort of guy, um, the big one that I notice a lot is America's ability uh, to talk more than New Zealand. New Zealand still has this issue of um, toxic masculinity, this kind of like, this is more so in, in men um, than women. But right. like, I was so, so blessed to grow up with a dad that didn't believe in that. He, he, he always was about speaking your mind, saying, you know, wearing your heart on your sleeve. And I was so lucky for that because there's a lot of men in New Zealand that kind of the whole suck it up, get over it, you'll be fine culture is just rampant. And there's a reason why New Zealand leads the world in uh, male suicides and teen suicides in general. Really? And it's because we're not allowed to talk. We're not allowed to talk about our feelings. We're, it's not cool. It's, uh, and the other thing is uh, we talk about tall poppy syndrome, um, which basically what that is is basically chopping people down when they start succeeding. And it's, it's terrible. You know, we, we don't build each other up when you see like, me putting myself out there on a podcast and like starting something on my own. I'm telling you now, there's a handful of people in New Zealand going, well, I don't know why Tay's starting the podcast. It's kind of weird. He doesn't, he got to say like, they just like enjoy like chopping people down. And that's not everyone. There's a, there's a small, there's a population. I'm not saying it's everyone. There's a ton of really successful people that put themselves out there and other people that hype them up. It's not everyone. Um, but there's a population and it, I think it's changing over time with social media and everything. People are just getting used to seeing other people put them out there and growing up and just getting over it. But yeah. as far as like culture that I noticed those two, um, it, the positives, New Zealand's super laid back. Eh? Like as people, we're really chill as in the sense of like, we, we don't let that much for us, um, which is like can obviously be a good and bad thing. Um, but the opportunities are just way more vast over here in America. Like you've just got so many people hiring. You've got so many industries, the money over here. It like, I feel like everyone's got money and like businesses are huge over here. It's just like a lot, a lot more opportunities for, for people. And I think that's why this is kind of a, the land of opportunity. There's a reason why that's it. 
why America yeah. gets that nickname. It's a it's a different culture, and um, I love it over here. I think a part of me was more. I think Dad always says that um, in a past life I was American, so <laughs> I kind of adopted that the culture over here pretty quickly. And the other thing is that, like, when you move to a different country, you have to accept that you're moving to a different country. I, my biggest pet peeve is foreigners living in America that bitch about America. I'm like. Like, I don't mean to say like that if you don't like a go home thing, because like that's ridiculous. Yeah. There's, there's negatives to everything. I don't love everything about America, but I love a lot of things. And I came over here with a super open mind. Like, this is this is where I am. If this is how they do it here, then this is how I do it now. Then I'm not coming over here to change how Americans do it. I've got to yeah. adapt. And so I think that helped a lot for me to get used to the culture here and um, kind of come in and just go if that like I, I was kind of an open uh, kind of a sponge like as soon as I got told that oh yeah in America this is how we do that I'm like cool and that's how I do it now like I'm right. not fighting it I'm not going to come over here and be like well this is how they should do it right you talked about uh toxic masculinity and that's something that I think is I mean it may be more rampant there but even in the United States it's something where it's like and even for me to start this podcast, if you listen to the very first one, it was like, look, I'm doing this because not a lot of people could see the, like, know the authentic side of me. And that's partly, dude, because me, I didn't show it to them or anybody else. Because yeah. it's like, you have those, you have those, that ego or those things in the back of your mind. They're like, what are people going to think about this? Are people going to judge me? Are people not going to like this? Like, but at the end of the day, you can't have that mindset because one, even if you did it or not, people are always going to say stuff about you, good and bad. So, I mean, you can't control that. The only thing you could do is put out in the world what you want to put out in the world. And I mean, I think that's a big thing and it seems simple, but it's really complex when it comes to people wanting to do things and then being afraid to do them or being afraid to speak up because of, you know, certain social norms or they weren't raised that way where a father, you know, like you said, you had the blessing of having a dad who, you know, showed emotion to, towards you. And I think, and on my end, I did too. My dad was one of those guys who would like watch a sappy commercial and I'd like look over and this dude would like be tearing up. <laughs> like, what are you? <laughs> At the same time though, he had a fuse, you know, like you didn't want to mess with him. So like yeah. I, there's that side of like you can still be a man and provide for your family and be a hard ass, but you can also have that tender loving side that isn't, you don't need to look at that as something that's weakness. Like vulnerability oh, yeah. in a man is not a weakness. And I think that it's is something that's, yeah, it's a strength. It's a strength. And I think that people look at sometimes a man being vulnerable and like emotional in a way as a weakness. And I think that that's something that is slowly dissipating a little bit, but if I, and it won't ever go away because there'll always be that stigma, but I, I hope that, you know, people start wising up to that a little bit. Oh, a hundred percent. And I like, like you said, it, it's absolutely a strength to be able to put yourself out there and not care about what people think. Like you don't, you don't see anybody that's super successful or, Right. living their dream going oh i hope someone doesn't say something bad like if you look at all the people you look up to i guarantee there's a population of people that don't like them like i'm sure you've yeah. said like oh i like um like i don't know joe rogan for example i enjoy watching his podcast but i know for a fact there is a huge number of people that hate him 
Like yeah. you can't please everyone. And until no, you, you fully understand that, then you're going to continue to hide and pull your, your back, uh, pull yourself back from your, your own potential. And I was actually, right. I was talking last night to a friend of mine, Khalil, who he'll probably listen to this as well. And we were talking about being vulnerable and showing your authenticity and how much further that would take you in life. And we were talking about a, a seminar I went to in Indianapolis uh, in early February and how there was about 200 people there from all walks of life around America, but they all work within college athletics. And it's kind of like they, they handpick people you apply and they handpick like basically the best of the best to come out here yeah. to Indianapolis. And it was just so interesting, the people, how they would behave. Cause we went out one night, we went to this bar and everyone was totally different than how we were in the boardroom. And we were talking about how it doesn't need to be like that. Like me and Khalil collect really quickly because like, as soon as we met each other, like we kind of like put down our walls. Like you could tell like our veils were down. We we're just like, what's up? What's up, bro? Are you yeah. good? Like, and we like clicked immediately because we weren't like all stiff. Like, hi, my name's Tay. I'm from Arizona state. <laughs> like it wasn't like stuff like that we're like oh this guy's dope like what's up bro are you good what are you, like do you like like we're eating lunch so we're, i was like oh you like that stuff that's dope like i i just had i made that at home last night kind of thing like you you immediately just start this casual conversation and put your walls down rather than caring like oh khalil's gonna think i'm a weird person like no you, yeah you just be you and we were talking about how the, the people that were just themselves made far more connections and by the end of the week we had like this massive group of friends that were all, were all the same like-minded people. And then there was a population of people who they may have been introverts. I don't mean to like talk down on people. Right. Didn't put themselves out there and didn't show their authentic self. And as a result, didn't make the same connections. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that we, we were talking about just in general, it comes back to my mask, that toxic masculinity where you want to put on this mask of and behave a certain way because that's how men behave. And, um, I don't think that there's a, I, well, yeah, you've got, there's certain things you've got to do to be a man, but I don't think it's mutually exclusive. Like there's some things right. like you sit with your dad crying about over a commercial, <laughs> nothing wrong with that. There's yeah. nothing wrong with having emotion yeah. and, and it's, it's human. You, it makes us human. Human. That's, that's what I was going to say when you were talking before, but no. you're not just cause you're a, a man doesn't mean you're not a human. It's yeah, just, it's, we all have hearts at the end of the day, but yeah, I, uh, I'm going to plug a book here. Uh, Lewis Howes, he actually has his own podcast. It's very successful called School of Greatness. But he wrote a book called Masks of Masculinity. And it's very good. I saw myself all through it, you know. So it was it was one of those ones that really helped me, like, take a step back, look in the mirror, like, damn, Mason, you do this one and this one and this one. Like, you know, he talks about, you know, uh, success, money, girls, uh, just stuff that guys deal with that they're like that when maybe they're around other guys and they're wanting to sound cool or whatever that may be, you know? So I think that's a really good book. It's a uh, mask of masculinity by Lewis house, but yeah, it's a really good book. And I just think that that's a important topic for men and especially, you know, young men growing up, like who they're, who they want to be. Like you may not have a family yet, but guess what? Like, you're going to have a wife, hopefully, maybe if you want, you're going to have kids. What are you going to be able to look back and like, are you going to be proud of that person you were back then for, you know, your family oh, now? Absolutely. So. And you but, kind of alluded to something really important there as well. Uh, saying that you're reading the book and you saw things that uh, 
you, you were like, damn Mason, I do that. I do that. <laughs> that self-awareness is so important. And yeah. like, you, I don't, I think a lot of people forget about that, but being able to check yourself and sit back and be like, I'm doing something. Why am I doing something? Or noticing you're making errors or saying things and you're like, why, why? If you continue to keep asking why you're going to benefit yourself so much, because being able to read a book and say, damn, I do that. (laughs) That's me. Did he just describe me? And being able to do that's huge because that's the first step to being able to make repairs. And so that self-awareness is key. And I'm impressed that you're able to read that and notice it because a lot of people continue putting their mask up and reading it. Never done that. that. I mean, I feel like if you're searching for that wisdom and like you're going to spend the time and read the book, then you want, you're searching for yourself to be better when you're done with it. Right. You're not just going to read the book to like, Oh, I'm bored. I'm going to read this book and waste my time. Like, Sure, people read uh, fictional books and stuff, but if you're picking up a book like that, you want to have taken something by the end of however long it took you to read. So that's another thing that I always, I always encourage is just like always be searching for wisdom. Always be search. There's so many things that you don't know, and that was like my biggest thing too. Part of the why I started the show was like dude, I don't know all these answers. Like I have a good foundation of stuff. I do a little extra research than the average person maybe, but it's like, this is why I wanted to do this so that everyone can come on and, you know, grab a piece of wisdom from someone, whether that's something that you said or I said. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's huge, man. Building the BA family. If y'all are still listening, go, go check out uh, on Apple podcasts, go like it, subscribe, comment all those interactions yep there's no way they're not listening all those interactions if they made it this far i don't know how far are we in we're rocking we're rocking pretty good well okay so this is something i like to ask too what is your definition of success because obviously that's you know a wide variety of things could be a wide variety of things and people say oh i just want to be successful well, what, what the hell is success to you is not success yeah. to me. So what's your definition of success? You're about to get me on a tangent. I hope you're ready. Because I, I love this question as well. Um, so for me, I kind of have a, a, I haven't heard many, many others have this sort of logic on the idea of success. Because for me, uh, success is achieving the pinnacle of something that you're not naturally good at. And so... like for me rugby was second nature I've played it since I was four it's our culture in New Zealand it's pretty much all we knew how to do I breathe as well as I can play rugby and so uh, it's it's one of those things that's so normal to me that going pro didn't feel like success like you know being paid to play rugby wasn't really success because it was I don't want to say it was easy but it was easier than a lot of things now for me through I was a terrible student I can't do math to save my life I like getting through high school and then my degree was a grind like I had to put hours in because I'm not naturally smart and it wasn't like one of those things that worked well for me I couldn't just pick up a book I didn't have a photographic memory I didn't have any right I, I had to like hustle to get good grades and now I'm graduating with my master's and that that graduation now that I don't get it because of coronavirus but um, being able to graduate with my master's is huge for me because I've had to hustle for that. And so my goal is to get my PhD in psych. That's like the, the pinnacle for me because That's awesome. education or academia isn't, isn't easy. 
to me. It's something that I've got to grind at and being able to work for that and it not come naturally, that's success to me is putting yourself out there and doing things that you, like I enjoy it, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's easy though. So I like, I love learning new things. I love picking up different things, but it doesn't mean that I'm good at it. Uh, I have to work for it. And so for me, that pinnacle of what success is to me is achieving some, the top of something that you're not naturally good at. Um, nothing to take away from professional athletes or um, in professional musicians, something that came easy to those people. I'm not knocking that. That's still an amazing feat because you've got to put in so much work. Yeah, because to anybody, so, yeah. like anyone that's reached that pinnacle of a professional athlete at their level, that okay yeah they had some god-given talent absolutely 110 percent. they have they are above average they're in the one percentile of athletic ability but they also worked super hard because there was a net that other one percent that was right there with them and they didn't work hard enough and then they didn't get and then there's those guys who are like in the two percent or three percent and they just worked harder than the guys up top, and they got their chance. So, I mean, those dudes yeah. still put in so much. Hundred percent. I'm definitely not taken away from that. I think yeah. for me, just my success is going to be a PhD over playing professional sports. Yeah, um, no. Just because of um, how difficult it is for, for me naturally. But um, so that's how I define success. Um, again, people, with, I appreciate the people that don't put it to their career as well, like. A lot of people believe success is having a loving family or um, a connected family, things like that. I love that too. Having yeah. a loving relationship with their spouse is another one. I love mm -hmm. that. It, yeah. It's so easy when people talk about success. You talk about money and fame and uh, doing it, getting X amount of receiving yards, whatever it be. Um, I really appreciate those who look at it at, at like more extrinsic purposes as far as relationships and yeah. or giving back. You know, obviously that's if that's success then i appreciate that as well right right yeah and i i think it's important to note that it's like money is something that we all need and it's something that we're all at the end of the day chasing to an extent but don't let your passion and what you're trying to portray don't let money overtake that because i think if you if you follow a passion people will see that in the way that it comes off and that's attractive to them because they know it's actually something that you care about and you're actually putting time into. And that yeah. in turn will turn into money eventually. You know, if you right. put enough time and effort and work and you take the right steps and obviously there's certain things that you need to do along the way, but don't make that your sole purpose, you know? Right. And because, I, anyone listening that are going to the sports industry, you've nailed it on the head, but we, we don't get paid in sports unless you're in the top echelon there's no money in sports. <laughs> and so that's the hard truth. If you don't love it and if you're not coming home from work every day fulfilled, you get out of the industry because there's, there's places you can go to make money and it's not in sports. And right. yet it's to the, to your point, if you are passionate about it, then you make it last then you hang in there. And at the top, you make money, money, like there's money, money, money in sports, money, but money. it's just like, yeah. it's hidden. It's like hidden in this top percentage. Right. Um, and so to get there, you've got to be passionate because it's years of literally working for not much and, yeah. and doing things you love. And like the last couple of years at ASU as a prime example, I don't get fiscally re rewarded 
for not much at all. And so that, that's why I'm serving drinks as well. But yeah. shit, I wouldn't change it for the world because I've loved working with the guys and girls at, at ASU and being able to give back and spend time with them, create those relationships. I've loved every second of it. Um, but yeah, there's a reason why I'm serving drinks. It's not, <laughs> You're not making money at, uh, at ASU. <laughs> yeah, man. It's, I was, for those who don't know, I was a sports management uh, major at Lindenwood University. I actually started as a journalism major. Print journalism was kind of dying off a little bit. And it was, you know, social media was already popular, but it was still on just a skyrocket rise. And uh, I kind of saw that and I just didn't really know. It was something I was good at, but I didn't really see where I could put myself in it. So that's when I went to the sports management. And I will say that's, it's a heavy, it's a grind on the way, but that, I mean, for anyone who's passionate about sports, which I think it's definitely one of my passions. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a cool industry. It's a cool Avenue for sure. Oh yeah. And you, you've got to find like your niche as well, because like, I'll, I'll happily say I'm a terrible salesman. I can't sell you anything. And I selling tickets to the Clippers was not my thing. And I mean, like I can build relationships, but I can't take your money. I'm really bad at that part. And I, I think part of it was like I was selling tickets. So I wasn't like passionate about what I was selling. And right. I actually remember my first sale at the Clippers. I had to wait till Friday. It was like a Wednesday or something. And that the person on the phone was like, can you wait till Friday? That's when I get my paycheck and I can pay. And I was like, my first thoughts like, man, if you're waiting for your paycheck, don't spend it on tickets. It is not where your money needs to be going if you don't have the disposable income to spend right. money on tickets. Please save it. And I couldn't do that. You're like, like no, dude. Actually, just kidding. Yeah. I don't want your money. Scratch the but... sale. But it was my first sale. I needed it. And so I had to be cutthroat and be like, yeah, man, for sure. I'd love to speak to you on Friday. I'll give you a call back. But like my heart broke. I was like, you dumbass. Don't be spending money on tickets. And How good of a feeling was that though at the same time? When you get your first sale, you're like, yes. Oh, yeah, no, I, I was stoked, stoked yeah. to get it in the end, but it, I just felt awful. I was like, this is not my industry. I can't be here taking people's money that definitely should be spending it on milk and bread over right. going to Clippers games. Man, the clip. That's just so crazy, too, how – and I hate, I hate to talk about this, but I'm going to anyways. It's the NCAA, March Madness not happening. Yeah. Crazy. And the NBA season gone. Now it might go over into I hope it doesn't go. Don't over say it. Don't say it. Don't do it. No, I'm no, terrified, we're not even gonna put bro. that. Yeah, we're not even gonna say it because it's not happening. Can't happen. Yeah. We're good. We're gonna play it anyway. Just think if you're a senior though, and all of a sudden, boom season done yeah. like you have yeah. you have all this momentum building up to that moment in the tournament and you put in all the hours and you you guys have watched all this film and you think your team really has a shot and it's your last year and then all of a sudden boom gone gone that yeah. just shows you the whole identity thing because then what about those guys that i mean you can get another year but what if they're like no i don't i need to go work i need to make money like i yeah. can't do this another year there's so much that goes into it. And like speaking as my, obviously I should disclaim none of my opinions in here is the opinion of ASU. I'm my own person. I, this is not a shared opinion, yeah. but um, as an, like an employee of ASU, it, 
like I, I know firsthand this is so much more complex than people think and what's frustrating is people I just, I can't stomach a uneducated opinion and the amount of people on social media saying they should do this you should do that like you need to sit down with the books look them over and then tell me what you should do is it noble to give another year and they have actually as of like two days ago they've given another year 100% it's noble but what are the implications to that and fiscally 100% it's going to be tough you're taking money out of certain things we're not going to be able to build certain things it's going to be slower there's going to be a fiscal uh, sort of waterfall down from this right. but the other thing is how many decommits are we going to see now you know there's countless people out there that have committed to for the sake of argument let's say ASU they're coming here next year they're so excited and then they get another year and they realize that senior that was about to leave is coming back so I'm not going to have that starting position now um, do I still want to go there? So then you're going to look at this, the decommits through the roofs, so the recruiting departments are going to work round the clock to try to keep guys on or figure that part out. I feel terrible for recruiting departments right now because they don't know mm-hmm. what's going to happen. Um, but the freshmen coming in have to deal with it. And, the, and then you've got to look at money. Like I, I, I don't know if schools with the appropriate budget can pay for summer school and another year. Um, now, Again, like I said, it's noble. Please, like I want them to do it. Um, like find that if they can sit down and have that conversation and try to find the money and move it around. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I know where the money is and where it's going. I don't know. Like I, it's one right. of the things that like I don't know where the money is, and so I'm not going to pretend like I know what they should do. I know that in my heart, I want the seniors to have a proper senior year. I want them to have their senior night. I want them to be able to have that opportunity. But I, I don't know if they can, and that. Or, or I don't know, now that they can, I don't know the repercussions of that and what's going to happen. So it, like you said, it's scary. It's It would suck. I can't imagine getting ready to go to March Madness and having like an X team, like this year's my year, like we're going to be good. Right, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, and like yeah. getting ready for the tournament, you know, you're, you're coming back from an injury maybe. Like you're, this is like, oh, this is showtime. You're feeling good. I, I've played in the same situation before where you're like, oh, this is going to happen. And then next minute, because of no one's fault too. That's the other thing is like, yeah. there's nothing you can do about it. It's just really hands up. Like, I, like no one was ready for this and you can knock uh, administration from anywhere, but until you sit in their shoes, don't have an opinion. You don't know what it's like to be Mark Emmett at the NCAA trying to make these adjustments and try to decide what's best for, yeah, what's best for student athletes, but what's best for employees. I know for me, job hunting in May I'm struggling. Everyone's frozen hiring. Budgets have been cut. There's no money going around to pay me. So like Mark Emmett's got to think about student athletes, but what about young employees? What about senior executives that have got to take pay cuts when their daughter's starting at a new school and they can't afford to pay for that school anymore? So that daughter now doesn't get to go to school with her friends. She has to go to a different school and make new friends. These implications people don't think about. They jump on Twitter and say, everyone should get a second year. But what does that, like, at what cost? Yeah. And people don't think about that kind of, like... Um, That's the whole everybody... Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to get into politics, but that's... that's uh, it, It's very political when it gets down to that. And that's, I mean, politics revolves around money. Sports at that level revolves around money. When yeah. that's that amount of money and those implications, there is a trickle-down effect to everybody, you know? And especially in a time like this, no one's seen anything like this before so yeah it's kind of no crazy for it. like no one there was no outline like it wasn't like 
oh, someone go get the coronavirus handbook. We'll see what we've designed to get, get ready for that. Like no one was prepared for this. And Tell so, you what, people will be ready now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, this won't happen again. There will be things in place. If someone tells you, yo, we're going into lockdown in a couple of weeks, everyone's going to get their shit together. Someone's going to find, you're going to find your girlfriend to get quarantined with. You're <laughs> you take care of all I of saw that. something that said there's going to be a spike in uh, babies and a spike in divorce. <laughs> it was in China. There's a, uh, well, I read an article which is probably the most uh, uneducated thing I can say, but I read an article about how there was a divorce spike in China. Um, no, I mean, I believe it. I believe oh, it. Yeah. All these spouses actually have to spend time with each other now. So especially the ones crazy. that are always on the road, like think about like, um, yeah, people that, traveling like road scouts and stuff. They're now at home yeah. with their spouse 24 <laughs> seven. Yeah. I saw this funny meme that said like, some of y'all picked the wrong person to quarantine with y'all about to be holding your farts in for two weeks. <laughs> I was cracking up. Get I was cracking up. Gastrointestinal issues. Yeah. Like <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm letting them go. That's unhealthy. Oh yeah. You've got to. Yeah. Sit, sit at the other end of the room. Something. <laughs> Get some nose. I hope you got a big house. Yeah. But okay, so real quick, I wanted to touch on this. Uh, you know, we kind of talked about the student athlete experience and everything and how obviously money is at the focal point. What What is your take on student athletes and getting paid? I know that there was some uh, legislation around like recently about them being able to make money on their likeness and image. Yeah. What was that? I don't, I don't know if I... Yeah, you kind of, you're nailing it a little bit there. Um, and it's again it kind of reverts back to what i was just talking about it's such a complex topic that you don't you can't really just say they should be paid like it's okay. yeah that's uh, it's so there's layers layers and layers and yeah. uh again disclaimer this is not asu's opinion this is tay hawker's opinion um but uh, i think they should be in a position where they can use their image for their own benefit when i say that i mean like when you're on Instagram and you get, um, what are the, what's one of these companies that send out all their free shit, bought it detox tea and all that kind of stuff. I don't know what they are. And they <laughs> send out all the smooth free, move tea. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Or the, the <laughs> teeth whitening high smart. Oh, the little like things you put. In yeah. Your mouth. And see, so they send you that package and you put it in and you take a photo and put it on your story. And say so use my discount code at Hawker 20 or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely student athletes should be allowed to do that. It's, that, that everyone else can and they're using their likeness 100 percent right and then there's not enough fiscal reconciliation or reciprocation sorry to to warrant that being huge um i saw i'm sorry to interrupt you but i saw uh trevor lawrence mm -hmm. and his girlfriend were putting together a fund that raised i think over a million dollars almost yeah. for COVID 19 and then ncaa came in and said like that they were stepping I, across NCAA, some some line they were stepping across. The NCAA released a statement to say that they didn't tell them to shut it down, but I didn't I didn't look into it, so I can't like again that was yeah. Just, I mean, neither did I. I. Just saw I saw a headline, read a little article, but yeah. I mean, you see stuff like that all the time. Like the one kid, uh, I remember the story where he was a NCAA football player and had a YouTube channel that was very yeah. successful, and his YouTube channel was getting enough views where he was running right. youtube was running ads so he was getting paid 
And then they said, hey, look, you can't keep doing your YouTube and play NCAA football. It's like, come on, man. Like, what is – like, Yeah, this dude could I be normal. Like, I don't know. It's, in that sense, like, you're, you're earning that money. Like, 100% running a YouTube is not easy. <laughs> it no. takes videoing, editing, uh, promoting, et cetera. Like, you're earning that money. And I like – so, I, like, I agree. He, needs, he should have been able to get paid by that. Um, the, issue, the part where I have an issue with is the schools or the NCAA paying, um, paying athletes directly. Uh, if they go out on their own and find their own payment, then I don't care about that. Yes, I acknowledge that brings in recruiting issues because you're going to get the car dealership that lives in Austin, Texas, that's going to contact all, every Longhorn uh, recruit and say, hey, you know, you want a new Ford Ranger or an F-150, then you know, come to Texas. I, I get that. That's going to happen. And I understand that. That happens um, already. <laughs> it's the underbelly. Yeah. Um, but, but I think like the, NC, the NCAA and schools, that money doesn't actually exist. And I think people don't understand that there's no money to give like ASU athletics runs to break even like the money that they make goes back to facilities, uh, benefits for student athletes, wages, Etc. There's not like this little pool of money sitting in a bank account saying, "Oh, Just we can pay whatever hundred kids. kids or sixty kids." Right. Yeah. And then the other thing is NCAA uh, works essentially the, the same way. They don't. Yes, they a billion dollar business, but it's a non-profit which sends all their money back to their member institutions. There's a reason why ASU can do all this shit. It's because the NCAA gives money, and the conferences aligned give money back to the schools to provide food uh teeth like various teaching as far as paying like for us to be able to help them get ready for life after college etc or manage like um like we do seminars on on toxic masculinity and things we we are able to do that because the ncaa gives us back and so that money that goes to the ncaa from march madness from um the cfp runs as a separate entity so not them um but NCAA ran events goes back to the NCAA correct but then it comes back to us to be able to fund sports like lacrosse and soccer and softball uh, who are non-revenue generating those sports all lose money so if you did pay athletes like a a sum from the school or the NCAA you're immediately kicking out all those non-profiting sports so you'd be left with basketball football and in some cases baseball right Um, and that's what I some people don't get that. either. Like the <laughs> revenue, obviously when you're saying, oh, these, co- or these schools are making so much. Yeah, those are the division one schools. But the NCAA comprised D1, D2, D3. There's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of other schools. Yeah. And then what about the sport? Like the sports, like women's sports isn't uh, uh, generating. And even those men's sports that aren't, you know, your big, big time football, basketball, division one programs. And I'm sure some baseball programs can be revenue gener- generating as well. I think, I think a good solution would be to, like you said, don't pay them a check. Like, here's your check. You're getting your check to go to school. And that's coming from an athlete. I didn't play at the division one level, so I didn't get a full ride. So I was still, I had majority of my school paid for through football and academics, but they were still a little out of pocket on my end. So that's coming from my perspective. But if you're a D1 athlete at that level, you're getting full ride. Like, they only get full ride. So, my thing is, yes, you should be able to make money off of your likeness and image, which there's a million ways to do it, especially if you're a high-profile athlete. 
yeah. you look at like Johnny Manziel or something like that, or Tebow, or even like just someone who's a successful starting player on one of those teams, they have thousands and thousands and thousands of followers already. Hundred percent. So they're you know businesses are going to want to use them. People are going to run want to run ads on their on their pages because you know they get a lot of traffic or whatever. I mean, there's so many different ways you know, guest, guest appearances. If someone wants to buy you a dinner, they should be able to buy you a dinner, like those kind yeah. of things. But I kind of agree with you on like, someone shouldn't just hand you a check. But if, if you have perks from being a football player, which there are, but guess what? You work your butt off too. the, you know, normal student population isn't waking up at four 30 in the morning to make sure they're at weights at five, right. You know, going home, shower, eat real quick, get to class at you know, seven or eight and then have meetings at noon back to class. Then, you know, you know, the whole schedule, it's practice yeah. at three, then you get home at five, six, seven, you got to eat. Then you got what it's eight o'clock and you got three hours of homework and you got to get up at four thirty. you know? So it's, there are, there is work that's put in, so they should be able to benefit from the perks. Yeah. And I totally agree with that. And on top of that, those perks that you're talking about for the most part, they've got to go out and earn as well. You've still yeah. got to market yourself. You've still got to understand how to best carry yourself. And you're probably going to learn a lot of things that you can carry into the real world by doing that. Because if you're an idiot on social media, if you're carrying yourself in a poor way, or if you don't have that charisma, then people would like, like if I'm say again, going back to a car salesman, if I own a car dealership and I'm looking at athletes for me to bring in to post about us or something, I'm not going to bring the kid that's last had the last seven days at a party during his off season. Right. So, because I don't want that image assigned with my company either. So it then means that athletes have to carry themselves in a certain manner to be able to get the most out of uh, their uh, exposure or their platform. And so I think it can be beneficial. You've just got to be prepared for it. And that's the other thing is make sure that people know it. it like it's one of these things that the compliance departments are going to have to sit down and weed this out to yeah. make sure that it's done right. Because mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't want to see that underbelly kind of get exposed. Like, those rules need to still be in place. You can't give some schools an added benefit because they've got the biggest donors. Like, then it just becomes a money race. And I don't agree with that. It needs to be the school offers the best um, facilities, the best uh, coaching, the best management um, in, in the sense that, and that's what we do here at ASU. We run the, the sort of pro model, having Herm at the helm, um, Antonio Pierce and Kevin Mawai, like these kind of guys, like people come here because of the coaching. Like you're getting mm -hmm. taught by some of the greatest football players to ever walk on a field every day. And so that's why players come here. But if then we're competing against Alabama, who's got Nick Saban's team of elites, there, I, I'm assuming it exists. And yeah. so then, then we're just playing a money grab. And like, I don't, I don't want to get into that sense, but I do think like, being able to use your social media presence, start a YouTube. Um, I'm sh man, people would love to watch a YouTube of uh, a day in the life of a D1 player. Like, I mean, I'm a, I'm around it, but I still would love to see what Joe Burrow is up to for a day as an LSU fan. Like, I would love to right. see like, that kind of stuff. So, there's an industry for it. Um, and, Were you and like at? You said a lot of the articles online that you see are like the uh, the real dumb situations where you're just like why would you tell them off for that? Like, that's fine. Um, that's kind of what you see every day, which sucks because it, you're right. That's, that's bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Were you at Arizona state or you, how long have you been there? Cause one of my buddies, uh, Renell Wren, 
Yeah, I know Rennell. Yeah, you laugh because he's a goofball. Yeah, like, I love Rennell. Yeah. yeah, so Rennell, when I moved to St. Louis, my freshman year, I played for uh, AU team the called the St. Louis Eagles, which they're now the Bradley Beal Elite because Brad was a 17U when I was a 15U. Yeah. And Rennell, we are at tryouts, and, like, it's, it's – hands down the best AAU team in the St. Louis area. So, you know, you got a competitive tryout going and Rennell was there, right? So you got all these like skilled players and Rennell comes in, this dude had the goggles on. He's like I said, 15 U freshman in high school, just six, probably like six, four, two thirty five, two forty, but just rocked up. Yeah. Like just big as hell looking like Terry Crews. And he <laughs> took – we're layup lines. He takes a few dribbles and jumps from, like, a step in, two-hand, just, boom, just rocks it. You know, and he's 240, so there's, like, some force behind it. And oh, yeah. we're looking like, who is this guy? Because yeah. he didn't have, like – you know, basketball is very skilled, like, post moves and stuff. But, you know, he didn't have that. He just wanted to get in you and just dunk on you. Yeah. So I'll have to, I'll send him this clip. I'll tell him. I mean, yeah, skill wise. I mean, this, this dude was a project, but he was so athletically gifted. And I just remember thinking he's going to be a hell of a football player. And then sure enough, the Cincinnati Bengals. (laughs) Yeah, sure enough. He started, you know, because I, we were getting recruited at the same time. We're going to a lot of same camps and stuff. And I remember our senior year, he was, I think at that time he was like six, five, two, six. 60 probably like 260 playing dn for luther north yeah. and was running a four or five yeah and i oh, was yeah. like because now yeah he's uh he's playing for the Bengals, doing good shout out renell man love you brother but yeah we used to have some funny times in the van yeah. you know, he came up to the office the other day probably like right before this stuff went down him and uh doug Suber as well he was uh, uh another guy that was on the team like you forget how big they are and then they come and tap you on the shoulder i haven't seen him in a while but he's yeah he's like 300 plus now right i mean i haven't seen him in a while because he's a three tech now but yeah yeah that's awesome yeah i love that kid he's always a good dude um so i think that about wraps it up what what always like i always like to do this in the show like this what is one thing i know we touched a lot of topics uh, but what is one thing that, you know, you want to leave with the listener? Like one thing that you want to leave with them, little nugget that they can take, implement in their life to help them. Yeah, I anyway. think for sure. I don't know what it is these days, but one thing I kind of, I really respect in people and we, we alluded to it a lot, but talking about their vulnerability and allowing to show you, allowing yourself to show your authentic self mm-hmm. is something that if everyone did it, we would live in a happy world. If people didn't play games, different people didn't just like hide who they really were and allow themselves to be them and <laughs> speak their truth and be honest and, and appreciate themselves. And it's not an easy thing to do. I'm not going to sit here and try to pretend like being yourself is easy. And it sounds dumb, but it's not. You, there's so it's many not. factors out there in the world that makes it so tough to just be you and because pre- you want to protect yourself. You don't want to get hurt. You don't want uh, to like show to let yourself out there and then you regret it. So um, I think if I could like give anyone a goal, there's lots of things you can be doing in quarantine, but uh, tangible things. But uh, if I could give anyone a goal, it would be to work on who you are and showing your your authentic self. Because 
um, shit, you, you would go so much further in life if you showed your real self because one thing like I talked about with my conversation with Khalil, if you let your walls down in any situation, this could be boyfriend, girlfriend, um, if you have certain relationships with um, your parents or siblings or best friends or just any friend, any acquaintance, if you let your walls down, those people are more likely to do the same and you can make genuine connections. And it's scary. People are like, my walls are up. My walls are up so high. Like I've been in the bad breakup. My walls are up yeah. all the time. Yeah, absolutely. But letting your walls down and showing your authentic self and being vulnerable can be so beneficial to you as a person. So I think that would be my biggest takeaway is learn to learn to love you and then don't give a fuck if others don't. <laughs> there it is. You <laughs> heard it. Out there. You heard it. And that's, that's so true. And as someone who's first, you know, this was like my dive off the deep, this project was to put myself out there like that. So I, I can tell you it's empowering when you do it. You'll see who your real friends are that take you for that authentic self. And you'll be able to weed out the people who, you know, don't appreciate your authentic self because you're acting different around them than who you actually are inside. And you don't want them today. You don't want those people. You don't want to have be hanging around people that you just have to like watch yourself because you're not totally, you know, being comfortable in your own shoes. So, yeah. Hey man, I appreciate it. I appreciate you. Tay Hawker, everybody bottle opener podcast is coming soon. So be on the lookout for that. I'm sure I will be retweeting some stuff coming to him and uh, breathing air family. Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of breathing air where everyday action meets extraordinary mindset. Go ahead and like, comment, subscribe, hit me up on Facebook or Twitter or just newly made Instagram. This is the first time, guys. It's a big step He's for me. He's got an Instagram. Yeah. So if you, Tay tried it earlier, if you search Mason Bendigo, my thing pops up, but it's, uh, it's Breathing Air Podcast is what it is. And I just put one of our little audiograms for last week's episode up, but yeah, follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, Snapchat is Mason underscore Bendigo. So all of it's basically just search my name. Tay, what's 30 tags out there for everybody real quick? Um, I got to double check. Uh, Instagram, Tay.Hawker. And then the bottle opener podcast, all one word is the, the Instagrams. And then Twitter is, I think, yeah, Tay Hawker. Beautiful. Tay Hawker, one word. Alrighty, thank you all so much, Tay. Thank you, man, for coming on. And Appreciate you, love you, buddy. Yeah, love y'all. See ya. This right here is the BA family. Y'all are the core and foundation. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Breathing Air. Just a little exclusive updates for y'all. I'm working on some merch. I'm also working on, you know, some drawings and some contests, just ways to get back out there and interact with y'all as much as possible. If y'all go on to Apple Podcasts and you like, subscribe, comment, all those things help our direction and where we're going in the future. And I cannot wait to continue to take this journey with y'all. I'm so blessed and I'm just blown away by y'all's support. And, you know, I have so much gratitude towards y'all. I'm still highly encouraging any interaction with me. If there's something that you want to hear, if there's a guest that you think would be a great fit for the show, reach out, let me know, DM me on any of the social media platforms. I love y'all and thank you for tuning in. See y'all next week.